0: Okay, Hanukkah um, Sameach everyone, it's good to see you, and also it's, um, if I'm not mistaken, it's Rosh Hodesh tomorrow, tonight, Rosh Hodesh now. So, um, wonderful to see everyone and to be able to share with everybody on Rosh on, uh, Hodesh Tevet, on the sixth night of Hanukkah, um, about, so the, I think the class was titled The Origins of the Conflict. It's important for us to recognize that the the issue of Hanukkah is is a punctuation in the middle of our in, in the middle of our history, which begins early on and really was not resolved on Hanukkah. It doesn't end on Hanukkah, and we still we still deal with many of the issues that come. But nonetheless, there was a recognition on some level of an understanding by the Hachamim that this should be something that is. Uh, established as a an anniversary to be celebrated and recognized by our people throughout the generations so what i'd like to do tonight is to be able to look at patterns in terms of our in terms of our history and what we're going to do is essentially to look at um, one aspect of our history and i think that it's not you know Although it wasn't planned necessarily to work out this way, I don't think that it is It is simply happenstance that the fact that we read the story of Yosef during the time of Hanukkah every year is irrelevant. I think that it is quite meaningful that it comes to us at this time of year and that we read it during this time of year. And so we're going to be studying a bit about that story and how it is that I understand that story to relate to Um, Hanukkah itself, and and revolves around the issues of Hanukkah. One thing that I'll begin with is this. There is a common misconception that the major issue that we had, or the major, major problems that we had around Hanukkah time, second century BCE, was with the Greeks. And of course, there were issues with the Greeks, but the major issue was with our people, There was internal conflict when it came to our relationship to the Greeks. Um, And for the first time in our history, really, in any sense, uh, in any real sense, there were throngs of, of Jews who came to the conclusion that it was better to leave being part of the nation of Israel and to give themselves over completely to Greek the Greek world, Greek society, Greek culture, Greek thought, the Greek way of life. Now, that's not to say that there were not elements uh, beforehand that were not enticing to us, that did not attract us, that did not make us feel that perhaps we should engage, and even those among us who might have left. But for the most part, there was a very strong sense among the Jewish people, the, the, the nation of Israel, that there was something special about us. And so we liked to dabble in things that were external to us. We liked to play with the nations around us. And we would play very often in idol worship. And the hachamim say that the only reason we engaged in the idol worship was for the sexual promiscuity that it brought us. And so we had a nice cover for those kinds of things. But that's essentially what it was. There was a dabbling in. There was an experimenting with other nations. When it came to the Greeks, it was a very different situation because the Greeks presented something that resembled us tremendously, Uh, and that was the way that they related to thinking about life, the way that they thought about their own lives, the way that they thought about meaning itself, right? the question of meaning in the world, and the way that they were able to have systematic treatments of those things, of those questions. And they did have systematic treatments that were consistent treatments. And so it affected their society and it affected us when we experienced it. And so it was a unique challenge to us because what it did was it essentially said to us, you don't need what you have anymore. What you should do is leave what you have and come into something better. And there was a full system that was presented. And so, you know, we looked at them, <clears throat> we saw that they were thinking like us and speaking about things that we had spoken about and entertained perhaps in different ways, but nonetheless, in a, in, as I said, in a systemized and construction, consistent fashion. And they also had sports and beauty pageants, which made it all that more attractive. Uh, which we had not come up with. And so there was a serious internal conflict. And not only that, but what ended up happening was that the Jews that were interested in Hellenizing, right, in in investing and giving themselves tour, to assimilating into Greek society, encouraged the Greeks to pull us all into that into that life. Um, so I'm not going through the depths of the history, and that history is now available in many ways. But those are the broad strokes of it. Um, I'm going to show you an interesting entry into the Merriam-Webster dictionary because I, I gave you the um, the source sheet here in the in the uh, in the chat, but I'll I'll share it on the screen, um, in which it says a Hellenist. Is a person living in Hellenistic times who was Greek in language, outlook, and way of life, but was not Greek in ancestry, especially a Hellenized Jew. And so there was something special about the Jews, there was something something unique about the Jews that that you know were was there was this tremendous movement, this tremendous force towards it. And Paul Johnson, in his history of the Jews, writes that the Jews themselves had had really um, incited this. And then he writes, any possibility of Greeks and Jews living together in reasonable comfort was destroyed by the rise of a Jewish reform party who wanted to force the pace of Hellenization. Right. So um, that is what's going on. And what that means is that this is not so much a question of our conflict with, the Gre- with Greece itself. It's more a question of the conflict that we had inside, right, within our own family. and what we will see is that that conflict was not one that started then, it was a conflict that began at the very beginnings of our people, and it evolved and developed, and there were times when it went dormant. Um, There were times where one side had the upper hand over the other, and vice versa, and what Hanukkah did, and the reason why Hanukkah became a time in which We almost, you know, we looked at that. the Hachamim saw it and said, okay, so this needs to become an anniversary, right? This needs to become a time in history where we come back to it and re-engage with it and re-relive and look at the ideas again and again is because finally there was a holding up of a mirror to us, right? Saying, you must deal with this issue. And so there was almost a forcing as a result of the Greeks. What the Greeks did do was they presented us with an issue that was already um, simmering within us for a very, very long time and said, you know, what say you about this? And so what I'm suggesting is that this issue begins with, well, it doesn't even begin with Yosef, it begins before Yosef, but it comes to a head with Yosef and his brothers. What is this issue, right? And before we get into the the particulars of the issue, well, I'm going to start with the issue. What was going on with Yosef and his brothers? It's something that doesn't begin with them. Right? It begins with Yaakov. Yaakov definitely is involved in this, and he's part of the problem as far as his brothers are concerned. But we've got a situation here in which Yaakov sees Rachel and he loves Rachel and he wants to be with Rachel and he is really not interested in being with anybody else other than Rachel and we know this story right so the whole thing is turned on its head and he ends up marrying not one but four women he ends up having children with all of them and yet the one that he loves the most the one that he identifies with the most the one that he connects to and invests in the most is Rachel's son. Yosef. So he loves Rahel, he loves Yosef, there is something about them that he, that he invests in, right? So there are two things that it says about Rahel, there's one thing that it says about both Rachel and Yosef. It says that Rahel was a beautiful woman, she was Yafat Toar vifat and it says Yosef was a beautiful man, Yafat Toar V'Yafat And for some reason, that mattered a tremendous amount to Yaakov Avinu, and it's not just that he, you know, he thought that they were beautiful and was attracted to them, and that was it. For some reason, beauty was a very important thing to Yaakov, and we know this because what when he, you know, it's one of the strangest things. But when he um, has the whole problem with Shechem, right? What does he want to do when he comes into Shechem? he wants to come into the society he wants to invest he wants to be able to you know to, to build his family into some external society and the whole thing goes awry why does it go awry because dinah is taken captive and raped and her brothers think that this is a tremendous uh, atrocity and it is it is a is a is a massive affront and what do they do they massacre all of the males of the of the city and take captive the women and children and what does Yaakov say to them after doing that? Yaakov says to them, achar That's the one word he uses. And what that means is you made me look ugly. And I can tolerate many things, but I can't tolerate being made to look ugly. And so it says that they cannot now integrate ever again. They cannot integrate. And the, the Torah goes out of its way to say that God needs to provide for them some kind of force field to protect them from being attacked by these people, it's not even a Midrash, that's directly in the Pesukim, and where Chitat Elohim, right? The fear of God was put into everybody around them so that they should be able to travel through wherever it was that they were traveling through without being destroyed by massacring a city because the the kid the boys lost their temper. So there's something going on over here, right? There is There was already a conflict between Yaakov and the way that he sees things And the children that are not the kids of Rahel. Right? So, everybody that is not Rahel's kids have a problem because they identify that, they identify and recognize that Yaakov has ideas that do not seem to incorporate them and take them into account. So, what does it end up being? What Shimon and Levi do is they say, listen, uh, we're not managing this. Well, You're going to consider our sister like some kind of a harlot and let her be taken like this? Absolutely not. We will use our covenantal sign to destroy them all. So we're going to tell them they should, be, they can engage in the covenant. And they try to, oh yeah, absolutely. We'll engage in the covenant. We'll circumcise everybody. We've got, lovely. I'm glad you circumcised everybody. Now we're going to take you all out and kill you. So we took advantage of your vulnerabilities and destroyed you. And Yaakov looks at this. Uh, he never forgets it, by the way. On his deathbed, he criticizes Shimon Levy for doing this. So that's a problem. And if you think that Yaakov looks at that and says, look, you know, I better manage with these kids because they seriously, there's are serious, you know, I mean, they just murdered a whole bunch of people. Maybe I should cut this back a bit. Yaakov doesn't cut it back. Instead, Yaakov doubles down on the entire thing. And what does he do with the one son that he has from Rachel? First of all, he invests everything he's got into this kid. But instead of instead of saying, look, Joe, I I, look, I recognize you're an exceedingly good looking teenager, right? You're 17 years old, uh, you know, you've got looks to kill. And I really think that maybe you should just kind of like, you know, you know, be a little bit more scraggly. You don't have to accentuate it all. Uh, your brothers are jealous as it is. Tone it down, you know, maybe you should tone it down a bit. Um, instead, what he does is says, look, you know, what, I, what I want to do is I want to really get you something special. I'm going to get you a bespoke tailored suit so you will really look good. And that's what he does. He gives him this ketonet, right? He gives him this beautiful coat to wear that's specially for him. And he got, gets to walk around strutting around in this coat. Now, the hachamim see this and they, they, don't, they don't just notice it. They embellish it. And they say, look, tradition has it, that this wasn't it. You know, Yosef absolutely knew how good looking he was. And not only did he know how good looking he was, he accentuated. So take a look. The Achamim say about Yosef Vihunar, right? He's a young man. Which incidentally, I mean, he's really young. He's 17 years old. In the book of Genesis, that's, you know, you've got everybody's 900 years old in the book of Genesis. All of a sudden you have a 17-year-old kid who comes around. He's a Nar, He's a lad. He's a young man. I mean, you know, in the in the modern slang, yeah, that's what lad sounds like. He's, he's, he's all concerned about how it is that he's looking. And it says, <laughs> He would do things that were very you know, teenager-oriented. I mean, you know, not teenager, but necessarily young adult-oriented. He spent a tremendous amount of time doing his hair. He would touch up his eyes, you know, use maybe a little bit of eye 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 makeup to accentuate his eyes. So that he would really look good. This is Rashi, right? This is straight out of Rashi. It, it got him into trouble. And it's not like he stopped. You know, when he did get into trouble and he was slow, sold into slavery, well, he didn't exactly have an opportunity to, to you know, to invest in a full makeup kit and, and you know, and, and hair products. So he had to put a stop to it for a little while. And, of course, you know, he was thrown into jail. But, you know, what ended up happening is that when he actually did get to Potiphar's house, and he did rise to the top, and he was left alone in full charge of the entire household, what does he go straight back to doing? Making himself up. So it says again, Rashi, It wasn't enough that he was beautiful. Kivan Once he saw that he was in charge again, and he had freedom again, he ate and he drank and he would curl his hair. He made sure that he looked good. At that point he said, look, kid, you know, I mean, I get that you you know, you want to make sure that you look good, but your dad is sitting in sackcloth mourning over you. Maybe you should show a little bit restraint. Now, God himself has to do this. And he says, listen, if, if you're so, so confident about the fact that you can manage these looks, Why don't I really see how you feel? And that's when the whole issue with Potiphar's wife starts. So it's very strange that Yosef, you know, this is, it's coming from his father's household. His father doesn't say, Joe, I don't think you should be spending that much time in the bathroom in the morning. To the contrary, he says, listen, I've got some great clothes for you. You know, why why don't, why don't why don't we see how we can really dress you up? He encourages. What it is that Joseph is doing. And this is all happening in front of his brothers. And his brothers look at him and they hate his guts. I mean, it says it more than once explicitly. But you see, for odds in auto, right? And then he says, then he has the dreams, right? And, you know, God forbid there should be like the minor sense of tact that maybe it's not a good idea. To share these dreams with the brothers that hate you anyway, right? So okay, you could say that's the occupational hazard of being a young idealist, and it's there finally that his father says, uh, Joe, I don't know, have you lost your mind? <speaking in Hebrew> what do you think, we're going to sit and we're going to come bow in front of you? He says that to kind of like throw the brothers off of the off the kill, but Aviv Shamar davar but his brother, his father did take it quite seriously and believed that there was something about those dreams. So, what's the issue? The issue is not, I mean, look, we have to put things into perspective, okay? We have to understand jealousy is one thing. And it says they were jealous of him. And that's perfectly understandable that they should be jealous of him. And that's an issue. And it says that they hated him. It might even be understandable that they hated him. But let's not forget that they wanna kill him, yeah? They want literally to murder their brother. And it gets to a point that they are so callous about it, that they are literally willing to go back to their father deal with the issue, deal with the fact that they've just destroyed their their brother, literally take him out of life, murdered them, murdered him. You have to really, really hate in order to be able to do that and sleep at night. I mean, I'm not assuming that they would have been able to sleep at night, but they didn't seem to worry about that. And the only reason they don't, at the end of the day, Is because Reuven has already been through the ordeal with his dad before, with the moving, you know, the whole issue with Bilha, which we won't get into now. So he says, look, let's throw him into a pit instead, and you know, hoping that he'd be able to bring him back to his dad and calm them down. Yehuda, who finally decides we should sell him, only says so, he goes like Ma Beth. Like, well, what are we going to get out of killing him? We don't even get any benefit out of it. At least let's get some monetary, monetary compensation for getting rid of him. I mean, the bottom line is, and this is key: we just need to get rid of him. That's what they wanted to do, and that's what not just what they wanted to do. They believed that that was what they needed to do. Because when you think about Yosef, right? He's not just he's not just good looking. You, we know because of the rest of the story, that he was a tremendously charismatic and attractive person. He had a tremendous power for people. So much so, and this is key, this is very important, so much so that when Paro sees him, and I believe, I hold personally, Paro was a brilliant leader. People disagree with me about that. I think that he was absolutely brilliant. I mean, he literally heard and realized that his entire country was going into massive famine and what he realized in an instant was what he needed to do for his country was build their morale and sense of identity and and connection to Egypt. And what he saw in an instant was a man who could embody that whole thing. And he put him in charge. And it was the best thing that he ever did. So we know from Yosef's life that Paro saw him, that everyone saw him, everyone saw him as a tremendously attractive person. And what Paro understood was that the whole country would want to invest in Egypt because of Yosef. That's how powerful Yosef was. And this was pulling him straight out of jail after being there for who knows how long. So we're getting a sense of who Yosef is, who the brothers very clearly see that he is, who's being encouraged by his father. And the brothers realize not only is dad out of his mind, which is what caused them to massacre the city of Shechem in the first place. I mean, it's clear that they disagree with him, that they don't even care that he's going to be absolutely devastated at the news that Yosef is gone. They have no issue with that. Cold-hearted kakerna. Can you please identify the coat of your son? Is this the coat of your son, Joseph? Yes, it, oh, sorry, Sorry. I think he's gone. That was their relationship to Yaakov. That's how they felt about Yaakov, and that's how they felt about Yosef. And they were sure, to the point that Chazal said, Achamim said they got God involved. They were so sure that this was the right thing to do. And they were not wrong on a certain level. They were not wrong, because we know in history when you have people like that, when you have people who have that kind of charisma, that kind of attraction, that kind of capacity to control masses simply by way of their own personality, it becomes a cult of personality. And it becomes very easily a dictatorship. And a very, in very, very quick ways, it becomes absolutely destructive and dangerous. And so when they see Yosef coming along, they say, Oh, look who's coming. And what the Rashi brings on that, oh, it's really a Midrash, right? Rashi doesn't bring it. Midrash Rabbah brings it. When it says, "Look, This master of dreams, this one is going to eventually bring all of our people to worship the Ba'al, to worship Avodah Zarah, which is precisely what happens. They're not off. That's what I'm saying. This, ex- this is the exact thing that happens with one of Yosef's descendants who was just as charismatic as he was and just as much involved in the mindset that he was. It was bin Ivat who was king just after King Solomon, tears 10 tribes away from the Union and sits on the throne as king. And it's unbelievable because the one thing that it tells us about him when he this occurs, when he is, is told by Ahiyah Shiloni that he's going to become king, it gives one detail about him. It says, He was wearing a new suit. when all of this happens, It's astonishing, that's the one thing that it tells us. So this is a serious problem. On the one hand, you have what seems like this tremendous embrace of world beauty in high levels of encouragement and movement. And on the other hand, you see these severe fears around it that are will stop and nothing to destroy it and get it out of there that never goes away. We think that you know just because Yosef ended up becoming tremendously successful in Egypt and the brothers do end up having to bow down to him that that meant that they were willing to embrace his personal view over theirs. That never happens. We don't have time to go through the entire story now, but I am telling you that never happens. They agree to disagree at the end mainly because they're afraid of what it is that he's going to do to them. That's all. But they do not agree with Yosef. They never do. So what are the issues? What is it that Yosef is doing? What is it that Yaakov is doing? Could it be? like What's behind all of it? What's behind all of it is this. Yaakov and Yosef recognize that the way to know God, the way to embrace God, the way to integrate with God, the God of Abraham, and who is the God of Abraham? The God of Abraham is the God that created all things. He is the source of all that is. And as Harambam teaches us, the way to know and love God is to see and come to be aware of, interact with, study, embrace the world that he created. And the world that he created is not created in utilitarian modes. What I mean by that is it is not simply created in a way that is, that is uh, for utility. It's not just there to be used as needed. There is an interface to the world. There are things that we find, human beings find as beautiful, that we evolved to be, learn to find as beautiful because they are helpful to us, useful to us in one way or another. And that we do definitely see a world as presented to us in beauty. And the things that we do not see as beautiful in some way tell us that this is not necessarily something that I want to connect to. We have to deal with that in an intellectual way, in a mature way and understand those things, but, at the, but ultimately there are definitely, the world presents itself the way to us in a beautiful interface. And what Yosef and Yaakov were, were understanding and what they believed was right was that if the world is to integrate with Israel, and that's what they believed should happen, that the world should integrate with Israel and that Israel should integrate with the world. And that does not mean that Israel should dissipate into the world. It means that if there is something to be learned, if there is something to be added, if there is something that could create a synergy that is successful between Israel and the outside of Israel, that in order for that to happen, in order for there to be openings for that to happen, beauty is necessary. Because nobody is going to want to have anything to do with what is ugly. And that is why Yaakov turns to the boys after the massacre and says only one thing to them. You've made me look horribly ugly. And there's nothing for me to do in this world now. What do you want me to do? Sit at home and twiddle my thumbs? You want me to sit behind some kind of wall so that I can be myself and at one with my God on an island and disregard the entire world that he created? Never forgave them for that. And when he saw Yosef began to get this, when he saw that there was potential for Yosef to understand this, he invested in him. He taught him his way. And so he encouraged him. Yes, it's good. you need to wear, the clothes that you wear should present beauty to the world. Now, is there a danger of a megalomaniac coming out of this? Yes, there is. And that's exactly what the brothers were concerned with. That very, very easily, this deteriorates into a disaster. And so what the brothers' opinion was, we do not play with fire. The, the fallout is too great. And so we need to liquidate it. Much of that was exacerbated by the jealousy and hatred that ensued around the fact that they saw that their father favored him, that they saw that the dreams were being had, and so on and so forth. That didn't help the issue. It very likely could have been a discussion and a debate, but it was not. It was visceral, and it never went away. And so what is the question that's raised? Succinctly, the question is, what does Israel do with what is not Israel? That's the bottom line. The brothers believed what you do is you take what you need and leave the rest. You do not engage in interface. You do not engage in relationship you do not engage in any real faithful synergy you take what you need and you leave what we call that is spying that mode of living in the world is spying you engage pretend that you're part of society pretend that you're actually one of these these you know the group take what you need and leave even if it does make the group vulnerable. And that is why Yosef accused them when he could of being spies. He wasn't kidding. He really meant it. He said, you are a bunch of spies. and I'm going to prove to you that you're a bunch of spies. What you will need to do is to prove that you are not a bunch of spies. Everybody wonders like, what was Yosef thinking? How did he go through that whole ordeal? It was very simple. He didn't have to think, he thought it up on the spot. He simply said, okay, look, they're doing it again. I'm going to simply put it out to them. You're spies, prove me otherwise. That's that's the bottom line. It reduces the entire argument of Yosef and his brothers down to that point. You are spies, prove to me otherwise. If you can prove to me that you love your brother, if you can prove to me that you will engage with Egypt and me faithfully, we're good. If you cannot do that, I will will make your life miserable. And it will only be miserable because you will put yourself into wrenching situations. I'm just gonna respond to what's going on as the Viceroy of Egypt, who's not an idiot. So that, you hear that, right? So we've come now to the from the history and the development to the, into, the, into the crux of the question. The crux of the question is, what does Israel do with what is not Israel? As far as Yaakov is concerned, you invest. You give and you take. And you do it in commerce, you do it in partnership, You do it in relationship. That was what Yosef believed. The brothers believed, you do not engage. You close the walls. You take what you need when you need it because you are Israel and God loves you. And it will all work out in the end. It's not really important that we're stealing or spying. The important thing is God's on our side. And so that's the, the, the argument. And there are sides that have value on either way, and both sides have value. Nobody wants a Yarovan bin Ivat running the, the country, except that 10 tribes ended up going with Yarovan bin Ivat and his, his legacy lasted for hundreds, hundreds of years So it wasn't a small thing. So what happens on Hanukkah is you have this nation that basically takes the ideals of Yosef and incorporates them nationally, but on a superficial level. So it's enough, it's enough to raise the specter of Joseph again in front of the nation of Israel. And again, to say, here I am, what say you? And what the nation of Israel says in that is rapture. They give themselves over to it. And it happens again. They don't know how to deal with it. And so it's really there that it begins, right? So in order, who ends up fighting? Who ends up fighting is the Kohen Gadol. The Kohen Gadol, interestingly, is the first one who is able to manage these, these relationships that are different, that are other, and be able to make a, a harmonious connection between them. So the Gemara says, and the Midrash says very nicely, he says, you know, the history of brothers in Israel is not good. As a matter of fact, the history of brothers in the Bible in general is not good. They just never get along. The only brothers who seem to get along are Moshe and Aharon. Not until Moshe and Aharon comes along do brothers ever really manage to live together without hating each other in one way or another. The worst manifestation was Yosef and his brothers. But it's not the only one. And the one who really is, is, is responsible for that brotherhood to occur is Aharon. Because it's Aharon that Akadosh Baruch Hu says about him, you know, he's talking to Moshe and he says to Moshe, Moshe, your brother's coming to you and he's going to see you He's going to be so happy to see you, Moshe even though you're the younger brother and you got the job even though you spent your whole life as a prince of Egypt and he spent his whole life helping the people of Israel with everything that he had even though he really is older and should get the job I'm telling you, Moshe there's not an ounce of jealousy in Aharon's heart. He sees you, he recognizes that this is what you were born to do, he's entirely secure in himself. He understands who he is. And because he understands who he is, he embraces everyone for who they are because he doesn't see any encroachment whatsoever. Imagine for a minute if the brothers of Yosef. Felt the way that Aharon did? Would the issues ensue as they did? There's a reason why the Pisukim tell us that what was running in the water was hatred and jealousy, even though they had a point to their issues. The hatred and jealousy tainted all of it. Because what was really running under the hatred and the jealousy was another thing, another another emotion, another feeling. And what was that? Fear and insecurity. What is it like watching your father favor your, your sister wife, your mother's sister wife over your mother all your life? What was it like watching Rachel die? And finally, maybe dad will spend some time with mom. And instead he spends time with her maidservant, with Rachel's maidservant over Leah. What was it like watching Joseph, the one child of Rachel? I know Benjamin, I'm saying, Yosef, right? this one child, this first child, favored by your father, the father that you wanted just a little bit of attention from, fawning all over him, that breeds insecurity. And that really is the deeper meaning, I believe, of what Hazal say when they say, Le'olam, A parent should never show differentiation between his children, their children. It's not just saying, oh, you know, he shouldn't have given him the coat. No, what it's saying is it does something to children. It carves out their whole sense of self. You know, we think that that a sense of self means academically educating, And there is an aspect of that. There is an aspect of that. It is important for our children to know who they are, to have an education as to who they are. But listen to, to what I'm saying. Nothing replaces a profoundly strong sense of self that comes from a parent's love and secure attachment. When a parent can provide love and secure attachment to a child, that child will thrive as themselves. And the elements of jealousy and hatred and all those things will be severely diminished in such a person. And what the Torah tells us covertly in the story, not so covertly, but you know, it's this understated theme in the story is that Yaakov did not do that. That everything that we suffer till today, because it's on a paradigmatic primal level, results in that, results from that. And we hate each other. We hate our siblings and we hate our family and we hate everything that we see that in us. And essentially it comes from a sense, a deep sense of fear. I was just watching, somebody sent me this video. I have no idea where it came from. It was on the news in Israel. Uh, yesterday from New York, somebody sent us, me this video. What is it? It's, it's on Israeli news. There's an atheist guy, he's a newscaster, he's atheist. And he's got on the news, an Israeli man who lives in Ramat Aviv, who is who is vociferously protesting? The Chabad rabbi on the corner, who has is putting tefillin on the young men who live in Ramat Aviv. And the atheist newscaster cannot understand what is wrong with this man. And he says to him, he goes, I don't understand. So he puts tefillin on your son. What's the big deal? I mean, isn't there something nice about that? This is what the guy's telling him. He goes, I don't he goes, because I don't want him to put tefillin on my son because the next thing I know is my son will not come to me for Shabbat. And that was like one small line that he threw in there and then it was just a discussion of kfiyadatit and, you know, this imposition of religion. And he said, but nobody's imposing anything. They asked the young man, do you want to put on tefillin? Yes, here's tefillin. No, thank you. Have a nice day. Anybody who's been in that experience with a Chabad rabbi, no, no, they don't accost you, no, they don't, they do they don't, you know, put you on guilt trips. Have, did you put? Are you Jewish? Did you put on tefillin today? Would you like to put on tefillin? Here you go. Chazak, They probably don't say chazak v'baruch, but nonetheless, right? And this man was saying, "I want to eradicate them from my neighborhood because of what they might do." And what I said to this woman, she goes, Israel has lost its soul. And then I said, you know, I don't know. This is nothing new. These people have always been part of our nation. It's always been part of our nation. Those those people have always been there. I said, but it's clear that he's afraid. She said, where did you see that? I said, because there was one line that he said, my son will put on tefillin, and he might become religious, and he will not come to me on Shabbat anymore. And that's clear. The whole fear is, I might lose my son. And that's because you are not prepared to respond to your son's choices in life. But isn't it true that if it's not tefillin, it's something else? So that is running very deeply in this entire story, and that is running on Hanukkah very badly. Because it comes to a point where, listen, you know, you guys cannot pretend not to deal with this issue anymore. We're going to have to deal with it. So now your whole nation is going to be dissipating, assimilating into Greece. Now what? And the only ones who can address it are Harun. The only one who can address it is Harun and his his descendants and the ones who live by his credo. It's not even the Kohanim in general. It's the Kohen Gadol and his family. Right? Don't we say, Bime Matitya Ben Yohanan Kohen Gadol bet Hashmonai the Kohen is the only one who would say, listen, enough, This is, I'm, I'm fighting this, this war, not because I hate my brothers, because I recognize that my brothers are dissipating, that yes, it's going to require really ugly stuff. It may even require us to go to, to engage in some level of civil war. But at the end of the day, it's in, it's in order to be able to save the nation of Israel to be Israel, because there was not going to be an Israel. And so what ends up happening on Hanukkah is, what do you do with what is not Israel? And the answer is, you do not give yourself over to it in rapture, and you do not isolate yourself from it. What you do is you draw deep from your own sense of self, and you fight for that self. and be willing to die in battle for it. If you love yourself that much, if you care about yourself that much that you're willing to fight to the death to defend who you are and what you are, well, then you can deal with anything. Of course you can deal with the Greeks. And that's what we ended up doing. You know how many Greek words there are in the Mishnah, the Gemara? You know how the fact, I've told, I say this, I literally I think I've said this in every single shiur that I've given from the beginning of Hanukkah. But the fact that you could write a Sefer Torah in Greek and it's kosher? If that's not integration, I don't know what is. But it is the manner in which we are meant to do this. And that is how Yosef did it. Yosef, you know that everybody loves to talk about the midrash. Of, you know, you know how we survived in Egypt. We didn't change our names. We didn't change our clothes. We didn't change our wells. Didn't we change our language? But we fail to recognize that Yosef changed all three of those things and thrived. Yeah, sure. When you know you've been reduced to slaves and you barely have a sense of self. Okay, so the externals are going to be the only things that hold you together. And there's something to be said for that. But it is not how it is that Yaakov wanted his children to be. And it certainly is not the way that Yosef lived. And it is why we bless our children that they should be like his children, even though they're gone. And that's a crazy thing. Why would you ever bless your children to be like Ephraim Minasheh? Do you ever think of that? It's the worst biracha. Please be like Ephraim Minasheh who have been wiped off the face of the planet and we have no idea where they are anymore. Hazaku Baruch. Great thing to wish for your child. The idea is, the, 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 it is so important, it's astonishing, but it is so important, the philosophy, that even though the risk caused them to be lost, we still bless our kids to be like Ephraim M'Nasheh. Because Yaakov said, that's how you should bless your children. Why? That Ephraim M'Nasheh, that were strong and remained your children, before I even got here. I mean, they grew up in Egypt, for goodness sakes. They didn't even grow up in a Jewish neighborhood. They didn't go to Jewish schools even. They were in Paro's army. And those kids, those are mine, Yaakov says. Those are the kids. Those are mine. They're going to be mine like Reuven and Shimon. These kids are a miracle. This is unbelievable. That's how every member of my family should bless their children to be from now on. That's what Yaakov says before he dies. Why? Because what he says to Yosef is, Yosef, you've done it. You have been able to become the face of Egypt, to wear Egyptian clothes, speak the Egyptian language, even be called by an Egyptian name. And you are Yisrael through and through. And it's because I loved you. And because you had strength. I mean, you know, it's not like Yosef had a huge amount of time to learn everything about Israel. By 17 years old, he was kicked out of the house and sold down to Egypt. What he did have was a profound security in who he was and his father's love. The Hachamim recognize that. They say that when he was ready to to go into Potiphar's with Potiphar's wife, and he came very close as far as our tradition is concerned. It's not like he was a perfect saint. He was this close. And it says that what stopped him was he saw his father's face. And another Midrash says that he saw the breastplate of the Kohen Gadol. And that his name was missing from it. That there was a, a profound sense of identity that he had. And identity comes first and foremost from what is given to us by our origins, by the source of our being where it is that we begin our life. It is the most important thing that we can do. So what ends up happening on Hanukkah is that we fight for that and we win. And what do the hachamim say? The mitzvah is ner ishu beto. It's a household mitzvah that your children your brothers your sisters should know that wherever they are in the world they are connected to home and that when we light at home it stands for them that's the halakha it's an astonishing halakha literally i mean a child from a particular household it doesn't have to be a child it could be a 40 year old uh, the, the, the father could be gone and the mom is home, right? The father could be away on business, out in the middle of nowhere, wherever it is. And he does not have to light the neroth If he wants to see them, he can light them, but he can't say a beracha because the beracha is not obligated. All he needs to know is that his family is lighting for him and that enough should be enough for him. But Zeva said, can I light? I want to see the candles. What do you mean? Your connection to home is enough. That's the idea behind it. And it's so much so that you're not even allowed to say the Beracha if you're not home and they're lighting for you. Why? Because if it's already been the obligation has been fulfilled. You can't say barakah and mitzvah when the obligation has already been fulfilled. And so what does that tell us? What it tells us is as Israel, what are we supposed to do with what is not Israel? The first thing that we're supposed to do is recognize that God created it. That's the first thing. The second thing we're supposed to question is, what can I learn from it? The third thing I'm supposed to question is, and how can I incorporate that learning into my being to enhance who I am? That is the entire goal of Galut. I'll prove it to you. That's the whole goal of Galut. Yirmiyahu. It's a very famous passage in Yirmiyahu. The first galut, the galut of Babel. Hakadosh Baruch Hu gives instructions. And we see these instructions as paradigmatic for every galut after it. So said the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, to the entire diaspora, to all those that I've exiled, that I threw out of Jerusalem to Babel. Benu Batim, build houses there, not tents, not don't rent apartments, live there, build houses. Vashevu and stay there, sit there, live there. Niteru plant gardens there. Ichlu Priyan and eat the fruit of those gardens. Which means you're gonna have to wait for the fruit to come out, right? This, by the way, was the shortest galut of our history, <laughs> you know. But time, do it marry there have kids there marry your kids there too marry them off have grandkids there be fruitful there invest there Al Do not diminish yourselves. Don't hold your breath while you're there, waiting somehow to get out. Be here now. And constantly look to find the peace of the city, that the city should be in peace, that the city itself, don't just worry about you, make sure the city is okay. You know, like Yosef did in Egypt. Do that. Do exactly what Yosef did in Egypt. Because that's exactly what Yosef did in Egypt, by the way. Exactly this. <laughs> Yosef had great-grandkids in Egypt. Pasuko's goes out of its way to tell us this. <inaudible> Look after the good of the city. Look after its success that I've sent you there. <inaudible> Pray for it. Right? Our most gracious sovereign Queen Elizabeth. Philip, Duke of Edinburgh Why do you think we do that? It's as because as this pray for it. Il Adonai, to God. That's okay. You can ask me about that. They should be okay. You think you, you think I don't want you to ask me that the Goyim should be doing well? Who do you think created those goyim, by the way? Just wondering. Who do you think created them? You think you're the only thing that I created? You think I didn't create the Brits? Because in the peace of the city, in that city's welfare, you will find peace. And if you do not, you will not find peace. If you resist and kick and scream, you will not find peace. Be there. Learn from them. You want to know why I sent you to Bavil? Because there's some really serious stuff that's going on over there. Some pretty insane developments that I really think that you guys can draw from. I would pay attention if I were you. And so the elements of beauty are key in that. Because if we do not make ourselves signal that we are interested in interacting, if we shut ourselves down and turn ourselves away from interaction, well, then all of it is for naught. We didn't realize that we were not meant to be home because we couldn't run it anymore and that maybe there's a possibility that we can learn something. And so, what does this have to do with this faradi habura? I will be bold and I will say that for the most part, this faradim took the lessons of Yosef. And we did embrace the areas that, in which we found ourselves. And we did learn from the people in which we found ourselves. Were there casualties? Yes. Very serious ones, actually. Yosef's way is not fail-safe. Yosef's way takes very big risks. And yet, Yaakov Abinu was ready to take those risks. And Yosef was ready to take us, and even after the entire story, before Yaakov dies, he says, and bless your children to be like Yosef's children. The ones that look like Egyptians, and talk like Egyptians, and walk like Egyptians, you know, what do you think that song's about? It's about Yosef. And so on Hanukkah, the one who ironically taught us the right way, the best way, who ensures for us an ability to do that, is actually a haron, the Kohen Gadol. And so on Hanukkah, what we remember is, is that there is things to learn from the outside, but there must be an awareness and sense of the flame of God that is within us. Because if that is not clear, then Yosef's way will absolutely fail. It's not just about being worldly. It's about questioning what the world can teach me, a member of Israel, and enhance my being. That's what Hanukkah is about. It's about being able to have such a sense of identity that you are willing to go to war with all odds against you, just so that it shouldn't be given up and lost, even if it means dying in the process. So those are the key ideas around Hanukkah and a sense of the early conflicts in which that came to a head on Hanukkah. And there was a certain development on Hanukkah in which we understood that there needs to be an integration. And so we integrated the beauty of Greece, and we integrated the language of Greece, and we even integrated the thought of Greece into Israel. And when we are able to do that, and being able to do that means having a very strong sense of self, when we are able to do that, we are living our best possible expression as the people. And ultimately that is, that is our, our greatest goal. And so the light of Hanukkah is a light that reminds us, the light that burns in us, the light of God, that is essentially what shines through our eyes, that is our great beauty, that always has to be cultivated, and that our household has to be cultivated, and taught, and nurtured, and loved. So that when they are away, and we do light candles for them at home, they know that they're connected and that they can be brave to be anywhere in this world, to learn anything from this world and know who they are nonetheless. All right, I suppose. So Rob Sina, do we do questions or, or what are we doing?
1: Uh, yeah, let a few minutes questions. I know it's, it's, it's late for you, you've had a long day. Thank you so much, Rob. Um, uh, really, really, really
2: powerful. Um, who's got a question? A, we put our hands up. Yeah, I just wonder, I'm just beginning to think, Rabbi. I thank you that- Who's um, speaking? My name's Paul. I'll put my picture on, sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Um, the Chanukah the, the is now a festival identity of our identity. And I was always thinking their identity came from Pesach because we say the Shema and we draw our identity from our, our Pesach narrative. Now you're encouraging me to think about the idea that actually the masiris nefesh of uh, that we think about uh, when we say the first line of the Shema that um, Hashem is from the past the present and the future and we're willing to give up our lives for that identity when we met when we when we take home malchut and we're taking it on a, on our shoulders so I'm, i've got a bit of a paradox there is my identity coming from pesach or is it coming from hanukkah
0: it's a good question the way that i understand it is that we're born at pesa right in other words the nation is delivered literally right on Pesach. so we're infants it's a very nascent sense of self. On Hanukkah, it's a question of now that you are, you've matured and you've found a home and you are a nation and you've developed, what does it mean to you to be you? It's one question, right. It's, it's essentially being able to grow up and like Yosef face tremendous challenge in the contrast of foreign identity and have to deal with that identity crisis. Pesach is not an identity crisis as much as it's a, it's, a, it's a birthing of a unique identity. But now when it's grown up and it's being put to the test, it, it takes on a much stronger sense and solidity, right? And that's essentially what I understand Hanukkah be. Thank you.
1: Got a question here that was in the chat. How come God did the same to Israel in the eyes of the other nations when he described us as the chosen people?
0: You mean the same that Yaakov? I'm assuming that it means the same that Yaakov did.
1: Uh, I think so. I think it was when you spoke about how dangerous sibling rivalry. Um,
0: yeah. I think so. Yeah. So look, what happens with regards to Kadosh Baruch Hu is, it's interesting, because if you take it in the way that we we understand it, A, Kadosh Baruch Hu asks us. And the re, there's a reason why the Midrash is said the way that it is because the Midrash says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu offered it to everyone and they rejected it right so what does that mean right whether you understand that as being literal or not what it means is is that there were absolutely no assumptions at the beginning that there should be one over another as a matter of fact the way that the Torah says it is that there was absolutely no indication on HaKadosh Baruch Hu's part that there should be differentiation with that human beings themselves should be the chosen people. It was the fact that there was a negation of that responsibility or that there was not a desire on the part of humanity to live that way, that Avraham shows up as being somebody who wants this, as being somebody that desires this. And so Akadosh Baruch Hu interacts with him and works on it with him. I think that um, I think that Wishagrad has a very, very important point about what it means to be the chosen people. What he says is that it teaches us that the fact that Akadosh Baruch Hu chooses individuals because of who they are teaches us about Akadosh Hu's relationship to people in, in general. And that is that Akadosh Hu is not a generic God. Akadosh Baruch Hu is interested in, in loving you because of who you are specifically. The problem, and that's completely opened always by God. In other words, as far as HaGadosh Baruch Hu is concerned, you're unique, you're you, you're you, you're special in what it is that you are and how it is that I created you. I love you when you're that. And I want to be involved intimately in your life with regards to that. The problem that Yaakov had was he didn't make indications like that to his children. If Yaakov had been with his children in that way, if he would have said, listen, this is my vision. You have a different vision, great. Why don't we engage? Why don't we? Why don't you live that way? Why don't you talk to me about that way? And that's not how Yaakov lived. Yaakov was like Yosef for nothing. And how, imagine what it meant for 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 everyone when when Yaakov refused to be consoled because Yosef was sold, and you have you have eleven other kids. The problem was that Yosef, I'm sorry, Yaakov didn't relate to them that way. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu never negates that with the people in the world. The fact that Israel was willing to go into covenant with him, that's another story. We were willing to go into covenant with him. It's not that HaKadosh Baruch Hu pulls away from anyone else or is not interested in anyone else at all. There's a profound responsibility that comes with that. But it wasn't. It wasn't something that was offered initially, or that was the the mode of the way that things were
2: meant to be. It's very nice to say that the midrash uh, uh, in the midrash. That uh, I think that that is Laurent. Am I right? Yes, it is. I know the
0: voice without even seeing the face.
2: Okay. So the the, the thing is. (laughs) The the, the thing is, is maybe in the midrash it say that it offered uh, everything was offered to all the other people. But show me any evidence from the people themselves that they were offered anything yeah, and that they feel it that way.
0: Show me any evidence that Israel went into it the way that they did, that besides what's written in the Torah.
2: Okay, but now we have a book, okay, in okay. which God said, uh, Israel is my preferred people.
0: What does that mean, Israel is my preferred people? It doesn't matter. It does matter. I asked no, you
2: what no, no. it means. No, no. What matters is the perception that other people have of that sentence. Yeah. So, how, how doesn't it how doesn't it put us in a tricky position with respect to the other people?
0: It definitely puts us in a tricky position with respect to the no, other why,
2: people. Why would he do that? G- given does- the example of Yosef uh, and Yaakov
0: the reason he would do that is because it is a real relationship and the inherent in that choice is for israel to live up to that relationship israel doesn't live up to that relationship puts us in a precarious position israel does live up to that relationship we're not in precarious position because we embrace everyone we live in a way that is universal we don't act in any way that causes people to look at us as being better than or or or, or special And that's one of the problems that Joseph did. It's the way that he lived, at least when he was younger.
2: You think there was a time in uh, history when uh, we lived up to that uh, level?
0: Again, if you're going to take the scriptures, then yes, of course there was. You you can't have your cake and eat it too, Laurent. You either want to take from what's written in the books or not take what's written from the books. If you don't want to take what's written (laughs) from the
2: book, then don't take it. But you have to take also the perception of the other people.
0: That's fine, but the perception of the other people is dependent mainly on Israel's behavior.
2: Where where was it? I mean, where did you notice that in history?
0: I noticed that in history and whenever it is that we've seen, we've lived in peace with our neighbors more than once in history. And we have usually lived in peace when we have embraced them, when we have served, when we have given.
2: Tell me one example when we lived in peace with uh, uh, our neighbors. Even when my Soroban family.
0: What do you mean? My people, my family, and and the people that were related to my family lived in Halab for hundreds of years, in peace with the Arabs. Not anything more than what would normally happen in conflicts with step people that are living in one in one place.
2: I won't. I won't answer that. We're not talking about your family. but We're talking about Israel as a people.
0: That's Israel. What do you mean? That's Jewish people. Okay. In the time of Shilomah Amalek, there was peace yes, throughout sure. the entire region. Everybody wanted to come and see Shilomah. Sure. Nobody said anything about it. Okay, good. That was
1: it. Yeah. Rav Shimon Eddie. Okay, but last question. Last question from Rav Shimon Eddie.
0: Uh, lucky lost. Um, thank you. I, I do have a query on something that Achim said earlier, which is that uh, the Hellenistic period was uh, a novelty in that for the first time, Jews weren't just uh, curious about the outside world, but rather uh, threw themselves in full heart and soul. Uh, I would question that in a uh, conversation Eliyahu had with the boss, that uh, God said there are only 7,000 people in all of Kalal Israel. He didn't say only seven, but there are 7,000 people in Kalal Israel who haven't been to the Baal. It seems to be the entire nation were going after them full heart and soul at the time. Yeah, but remember what was going on at that time. Nobody was leaving Israel. They were just being naughty, and doing stuff that they shouldn't have been doing. That was all.
2: Ah, okay, but
0: uh, nobody was right, leaving. Nobody the... wanted to stop being Israel. They just wanted to be able to play with the friends, also, and that was an okay. Well, being the aim of Pim, you're that's exactly up right. Stuff. That's exactly what what Leao says. A I thought a I... Rather than a preceding B, there was no Shnasei Pim with the with the Greeks. There was absolutely no Shnasei Pim. Okay, fair enough. Thank you. Pleasure. All right, we're good. Thank Rassina, you very much, Rav. Lovely Thanks to share with all of it. you tonight. Thank you so much for yes. coming and attending. Thank, thank you. you. thank People you, everyone. I don't think I've ever met before, and so I'm glad to see you here.
1: Yes, and hope to see you all back next week for Rav Yonatan Halevi on part two of the reception to Who's the in World? Austin,
0: Texas? Daniel, We've got. You know what?
1: What I want to do, Rob next time is get everybody in the chat to put what town they're in. If you can do that
0: now, oh, I see. Daniel, can it. is it Iken or? Because
1: it's yeah, it's yeah. amazing how every week we Daniel yeah. Iken
0: from Austin, Texas. Welcome. Thank you. Good to see. Uh, you. I, love to here, so I look
2: forward to. Thank uh, you. To
0: really good to really good to meet you. Really good. I mean, virtually anyway.
2: Yeah. I, I may be in London in uh, February, depending. Well, if on you
0: are, definitely let me know when you're here, and we'll 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 get to meet in person. Assuming that we can, you know, outside, you know, outside. outside. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah.
1: Look at this Canberra, Bethesda, Atlanta, everywhere. Amazing. So, beautiful.
0: Great. Thank
1: you all. God good day, good night, good, good night, wherever day. you are. See you next week. Good night. Thank you. Hello. Can you just leave it on a bit longer, please? I no problem. So, that whoever can stay, can, can stay.